Well, in the fall of 1999, a game show began to be aired in America. Perhaps you've seen it. The game show is entitled, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? How many of you have seen that show? Almost every one of us. I've only seen it a few times, but each time I've watched it, I've enjoyed it. It's been a, a neat show that's uh, been on. And a contest, contestants sit in what they call the hot seat and answer a series of questions. Each of those questions are multiple choice. Four possibilities are shown on the screen. And contestants choose one of four options. And should the question be answered correctly, the contestant goes on to the next round, right? You all know what I'm talking about, right? I want you to just picture this with me in your mind, right? The questions increase in difficulty. And as they increase in difficulty, they also increase in monetary value, right? The first question is worth $100. The next one is worth $200. By the time you get to the 15th question, it's worth a million dollars. Should it be answered correctly? However, if the contestant fails to answer the question, any question along the way, the game stops. The contestant goes home empty. Now, one of the things about this show is that the mood of the game is very serious. I mean, after all, it's a million dollars that's at stake. Very serious. The music that's played is deep and suspenseful. I can't recall what the music is like, and I just kind of remember just this you know, deep bass, boom, 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 you know. The game's played in a dark room. And when answering and asking these questions, it's just two spotlights that shine down upon the host and upon the contestant. And a few times I've seen this show, one thing always stands out, right? The, the contestant hears the question. They've probably been prompted by this backstage what they should do. They, they should probably begin to think aloud and, and talk aloud about what they think the answer is. And I've heard them say something like this. Well, I know the answer can't be A. It's not A. I know that's for sure. And I don't think it's C. So I'm, I'm between B and D. But, you know, I, I, think, I think it's B. I, I, th- I think, let, let, let's go with B. Have you heard that? <laughs> Say something like that, right? Let's go with B. And then the host, Regis Philemon, says what? Is that your final answer? Which the contestant says, yes, B is my final answer. It's my final answer. And then the host show will ask the computer, right? Computer, is B the answer B? And if the answer is chosen correctly, music plays, spotlights begin to shine, dance around the room, celebration, the audience goes up and applauds, everybody's cheerful. The contestant breathes a sigh of relief. The host of the show commends him on a job well done. And things go on for a little bit. And then, as I was told, I was asking Amy Cross about this yesterday, as I was told, he goes, everything dark again, and you go for the next round. Uh, Once again, the spotlights are on the two people and all is serious again as they prepare for the next question. Well, this morning as we continue in our exposition through the whole Bible, we've come really to the last half of Deuteronomy. In this book, as it comes to a close, Moses is like the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire asking Israel, what is your final answer? He's put a multiple choice question before them and says, what's your final answer? His question was simple. How will you choose to live? How will you choose to live? He gives two options, right? The first is obedience, living a life of obedience and submission to the Lord, submitting to Him in faith, 
of all that He's commanded you to do, bending your knee and bowing to Him. That's option number one. And your other option is the option of living in rebellion. Refusing the counsel of the Lord and desiring to walk in your own paths instead. And with all great seriousness, Moses asks the people, what is your answer? How will you choose to live? But unlike the host of Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Moses gives them the right answer. It's almost like the answer is B, okay? Or the answer is A, this is what you need to do. I invite you to open your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Verse, it's on the cover of our bulletin this morning. It is the verse that I want to use that opens up for us the last half of the book of Deuteronomy because I think it, it really summarizes the theme of what this book is about. Verses 19 and 20 from Deuteronomy chapter 30 says this, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, and by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I trust you've noticed the serious tone of these words. I trust you noticed the options placed before the people. And I trust you've noticed how Moses gave them, gave them the answer to the question. And these are solemn words that the Lord spoke through Moses to the people. And they ought not to be taken lightly. In fact, you can see how solemn they were in this very first phrase, right? I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. It's my first point. The two witnesses. The two witnesses. Moses calls these witnesses heaven and earth. And in calling these two witnesses, the effect is to alert the people of the seriousness of the words to which he's calling them. Should he be around today and put everybody in a room? He may have darkened all the room around. Put the spotlight on himself and said, this is serious stuff, dear people of God. It's heaven and earth that are witnessing this solemn pledge that I am coming to you with. This promise. Now, it's not so much that Moses has said, okay, heaven and earth, take the witness stand in court and speak against the people of Israel. Because Israel has not made their final choice yet. But the sense here is, is really more of witnesses in a wedding ceremony. They who stood up in the wedding ceremony, stand and watch the bride and the groom make their vows to one another. And should at any point in the future this married couple begin to divide and begin to separate and begin to, to grow apart and contemplate divorce, it's the witnesses who will be able to stand and say, I heard this man tell this woman out of her own mouth that she would take her as his lawfully wedded wife to live together with her in holy matrimony to love her and honor her and comfort her, to keep her in sickness and in health, to forsake all others and keep only unto her as long as they both shall live. And they can say equally, right? These witnesses can say, and the bride said a similar thing of the husband. I promise to take my husband in holy matrimony, live together, to honor him, to love him, to comfort him, to keep him in sickness and in health, to forsake all others as long as they both shall live. And the divorce they're now considering and now forsaking 
The, the divorce now they're considering is a forsaking of the law of the vow that they had previously covenanted together in the presence of God and the presence of many other witnesses, of which we are several. That's the idea here of heaven and earth. As Moses gave this final choice to the people, heaven and earth will be able to rise someday in the day that the people of Israel began to forsake the Lord and they would say, I was there to witness the final choice that Moses put before the people of Israel. He made their choice about as clear to them as could be made. They heard the options. They knew that they had a choice either to love the Lord or to forsake Him. They knew of the consequences of their choices. And as they have chosen to disobey, surely the painful consequences that they are experiencing now are entirely just. They don't have any reason to complain of the harsh judgment that has fallen upon them. Moses made it as clear as he is able. The people clearly understood. We have seen it. We bear witness. We bear testimony that they have forsaken the Lord and merely are reaping the consequences of their disobedience. So what is this about? It's because heaven and earth will remain as long as we live upon the earth. There'll be a day when it's done away, but as long as we live upon the earth, heaven and earth will remain. And when Moses speaks about heaven and earth witnessing, he's simply calling the most general spheres of our creation that will be around. That You know, the heavens speak, right? Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens tell the glory of God. The heavens can speak of things. The earth speaks as well. When Cain killed his brother Abel, the blood of Abel cried out to the Lord from the ground. And so the heaven and the earth can witness and can bear witness of the Lord and what things He has said. And the solemnity of these things really come us, to us as well at Rock Valley Bible Church. You know, we're not playing games at Rock Valley Bible Church. There are churches that are into games and looking for numbers and looking for nice-sounding platitudes and looking for people to go home and feel good. That's not Rock Valley Bible Church. The things that we're engaged here are the most serious of matters you'll ever encounter in your life. They're matters of eternal life and death. Right? And we don't want to candy coat them. We don't want to sugarcoat them. Right? And as you attend services each week, it's, it's a constant reminder of the most important thing in your life. It's your relationship with Christ. As you interact with a church body throughout the week and you see the, the relationships there, it's reminding you of how you need to encourage one another all the more until the day draws nigh. And this is the most important thing. Yes, your difficulties at work are important and your mother's health is important and your children's grades are important and your neighbor's surgery is important. But far more important than all of these things is where you stand with the Lord. Because the state of your soul is determined by how you respond to Jesus Christ. If you recognize Him as Lord of the universe and bow your knee to Him and find in Him the righteousness you desperately need, right? the state of your soul is well. And you'll find yourself someday in glory. But should you forsake Him, and should you neglect Him, and should you pursue your own interests, you'll find yourself in hell. It's a choice. Life or death. The wages of sin is death. But the good news is that Jesus Christ offered Himself up as a sacrifice for sin. We simply need to look at Him and believe in Him and our sins are wiped away as we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And we need to remind ourselves of this. By faith, we can see the death sentence upon our souls removed and we can live forever, eternally with Him. How's the state of your soul? 
These things are a matter of life and death, which we see in our next point, right? The two options. The two options. We've seen the two witnesses and now here are the two options. Moses set before the Israelites a clear choice. He said right here in verse 19, I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Right? And the choice is between life and death. It's between blessing and a curse. And it's interesting, these two choices have been the theme of Moses for the previous four chapters. Chapter 27, 28, 29, and 30 of Deuteronomy. You're all talking about, here. you can live this way or you can live this way. If you live this way, here's what happens. If you live this way, here's what happens. And Moses constantly says, so live this way. Because if you live this way, this is going to happen. But you want this to happen, so you want to live this way. He just goes on and on. On and on. For four chapters. I want to show you some of that. Right? Turn over to uh, chapter 27. And you see how it just bounces around. But it's all two options and two results from the way in which you live. Look at verse 11 of chapter 27. And I'm going to have to really survey some of these things. Sort of to skip over a bunch. Because it would take us too long to read all these things. But it's the same theme coming up. Again, again. Deuteronomy 27, verse 11. Moses also charged the people on that day saying, When you cross the Jordan... Okay, they're going to go up on the east side of the Jordan. They're going to cross the Jordan and enter into the land. That's what they're going to do. And when you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people. Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. Those are six of the twelve tribes of Israel. will stand on Mount Gerizim to the south. And on the north would stand on Mount Ebal, verse 13 says. For the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal. Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And in verse 14, we read about how the Levites were to say these things with a loud voice for all the people to hear. And really, to get an idea of what's happening, you need to know a bit of the geography and topology of the land of Israel. When Israel came to conquer the promised land, they attacked from the east to the west. They crossed over the Jordan and they split the nation in two. So they came in and they, they split the nation and then they conquered the southern kingdom, which is told about in Joshua chapter 10. And then they conquered the northern kingdom, which is told in Joshua chapter 11. But before they conquered that, they would come in and as they would go into Shechem, which is the valley of Shechem, they would see there two hills. And you can see it, kids, right there on your notes. There would be these two hills. One is Mount Gerizim on the south. The other is Mount Ebal on the north. Mount, the Valley of Shechem is right in between, about 500 yards wide, maybe a several miles long. And you, you, you come right in there and there's these two mounds. And Moses says, when you come in there, I want you to heap half of Israel up over here and put half of them up over here and form this big auditorium so that you can see and hear what the Levites are going to say. What's actually going to be read from the book of the law. And once they assembled their seats, once they could see in their amphitheater, this giant amphitheater, a million people coming, right? bigger than any Promise Keepers event, I guarantee it, all these people all across watching what was going to be, dead, be read, they were going to be on the hillside and affirm it. And that's exactly what happened a few years later. Listen to Joshua chapter 8. In verse 33, we read, All Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark. 
before the Levitical priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, the strangers who also the native. Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command at first to bless the people of Israel. And then afterwards, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that's written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, the strangers who were living among them. I mean, so important were these words of the blessing and the curse that Moses said, we need to have a giant object lesson so that you remember the two choices, right? You can live like Mount Gerizim, you can live like Mount Ebal, and there's a chasm in between. You either live one way or you live the other way. In fact, what I like to do is even transform this auditorium a little bit into Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Just right down the middle here. Why don't you spread your, your chairs away a little bit, okay? Kind of right down the middle. Right down, kind of right down here. Why don't you push your chairs away so we can have Mount Ebal over here and Mount Gerizim. You guys are doing a terrible job. Right? Just move them just away just a little bit, right? Let's form maybe two aisles. You know, push them out to the aisle. we got one aisle right down the middle so we can see it. Mike Dirks, you're right in the middle. Maybe scoot over, Mike. Make your choice. Here we go. What mountain are you guys again? I forget. Mount Ebal. <laughs> you guys over here? Mount Gerizim. Which one's better? Ebal. Ebal. And who's better? Gerizim. Gerizim. Right? I got spirit. Yes, we do. I got spirit. How about you? Right? I want to read these curses. And this is very serious, okay? And every time I get to the point, all the people shall say, Amen. I want you to say that, alright? Verse 15. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people should say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother. Amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark. Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road. Amen. And we can get our amens getting going louder here, okay? Remember, you've got to have a million people hear it, right? Cursed is he who distorts the justice to an alien, orphan, and widow. Okay, good. I'll cue you from now on. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's skirt. Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal. Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or of his mother. Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law. Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret. Cursed is he who accepts a bribe to strike down an innocent person. Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. Amen. Amen. And heaven and earth will witness against you. So they witnessed against Israel in that day. And I trust that as Joshua 8 said that Joshua read all these things, that he continued on to say, these are the curses. That was the bad news. But here's the good news, right? Let me read it for you in chapter 28. Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all His commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you 
and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in your city and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and the produce of your ground and the offspring of your beasts, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will continue out. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you in your barns. And in all that you put your hand to do, He will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as holy people to Himself as He swore to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in His ways. So all the peoples of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord. And they will be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offering of your body, in the offspring of of your beasts and in the produce of your ground, in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open for you His good storehouse, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in all its seasons and to bless the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. And you only will be above. And you will not be underneath if you listen to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I charge you today, to observe them carefully and do not turn aside from any one of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods and serve them. Is that incredible blessing? That is incredible blessing. God says, you simply need to obey. Love the Lord your God. Follow Him. Cling to Him. Hold fast to Him. And those blessings are yours. But if you disobey, refuse and rebel, the curses come upon you. And the curses come pretty heavy. Look at verse 15. It comes about, if you do not obey the Lord your God to observe to do all His commandments and His statutes with which I charge you today that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And for the next 53 verses, curse upon curse upon curse upon curse upon curse. Now, let me give you a flavor of what's going on here. Verse 16, your city would be cursed. Verse 17, their kitchens would be cursed. Verse 18, their children and their garden and their livestock would be cursed. Their travel, verse 19, would be cursed. Pestilence would come upon them, verse 21. Consumption, fever, and inflammation would come upon them, verse 22. Overbearing heat would take the land, verse 23. Their enemies would defeat them, verse 25. Their dead bodies would be food for birds and beasts, 26. They'd be afflicted with boils and tumors like those sent to strike the Egyptians, verse 27. My children's favorite here comes in verse 27. They would have the dreaded itch. They'd be confused, verse 28. They'd be oppressed and robbed, verse 29. Their wives would be violated by other men, verse 30. They'd plant and not be able to eat, verse 30. They'd slaughter their ox, but not to be able to eat from it, verse 31. They'd watch their sons and daughters be taken away from them into slavery, verse 32. And things would get so bad, as verse 37 says, you shall become a horror, a proverb, and a taunt among the people where the Lord drives you. In other words, Israel, you will be the laughing stock of nations. People will make fun of you, Israel. I remember growing up, Telling Polak jokes, right? 
You guys remember telling you these jokes, right? How do you get a one-armed Pollock out of the tree? You wave at him. <laughs> and why did the Pollock sell his water skis? He couldn't find a lake with a hill on it. You get it, right? Well, my, my dad, upon hearing me making fun of this other nation, right, these Polish people said, you know what, you, you probably shouldn't do that, Steve. It's not so honoring to them. But you know, it's okay to make fun of yourself. And so my, my grandfather came over on the boat from Norway. And so my dad is half Norwegian. I'm a quarter Norwegian. And so I, I would go around then telling Norwegian jokes. You want to hear a few of those Norwegian jokes, right? The, did you hear about the Norwegian family that froze to death outside a theater? They're waiting for the movie closed for the winter. Right? Or the, the Norwegian that locked his keys in the car. He had to use a coat hanger to get his family out. Right? I remember uh, these two Norwegians driving along in a, in a truck and, and they come into this overpass. This truck was pretty tall and the overpass said 11 feet 2 inches. And so they stopped short of there and they took out their measuring and they measured it. 11 feet 6 inches was their truck. So they thought about it and one Norwegian said to the other, I don't see any cops around. Let's go for it. You know, we, we, la- we rightly laugh at these jokes because they're funny, but first, verse 37 says that they will tell Israelite jokes to them. There'll be a taunt of these people. They'll become a horror, in fact. Right? Such dread would come upon these people, they'd probably use them as a curse. Even They might even say this, how did the Amorites conquer Israel so fast? They marched backwards, and Israel thought they were leaving. Just kind of saying, Israel is stupid. They don't understand it. Right? How do you make an Israelite warship sink? You put it in in water. It sinks. These these jokes about Israel and how inept they are. That's what would come upon them. They would be a horror. So desolate were they, they would become a proverb. They would become a taunt. Israel would be hated and despised and made fun of and mocked for all times to come. Right? People would say, all you need to do with Israel is throw a coriander seed at them. Right? And they think it's manna and they run away. They're scaredy cats. All these kind of things. right? Israel, rather than, remember the blessings, it says you will be on top, you won't be underneath. You'll be the head, you'll not be the tail. But if you disobey, you're going to be cursed. And what's going to happen? You're going to be the tail and you're going to be below and everyone's going to be on top and they're going to oppress you and make fun of you and ridicule you and make a scorn of you. You'll be held up as an example of what not to do. And then from verses 38 and following, right? We hear curses and curses and curses that come upon the Israelites if they continue in their rebellion. And I could go on for a long time even to describe all the terrible things that would take place upon them. And it is bad and it is hard. It's severe. That's why I try to lighten things up with a little levity because it comes so hard. And then chapter 29, the same thing, right? Here's the blessing and the curse, right? You obey, these good things will come. You disobey, these bad things will come. Right? He gathered the people together in Moab. And he reminded them of the wonderful things the Lord has done. Verse 5, I led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. Your sandal is not worn out on your foot. You've not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. For 40 years, clothes didn't wear out. 
For 40 years, sandals didn't wear out. For 40 years, God sustained them with manna. For 40 years, God provided them water when they needed it most. And their final answer should have been easy. They should have said, well, it's obvious that the Lord is the God. We will follow Him, right? That's what verse 9 says. So keep the words of this covenant to do them that you may prosper in all that you do. But again, now the flip side comes. It should have come about the people forsake the Lord. Curses will come upon them. And we see in verse 24 how the nations are becoming a, a how Israelites are becoming a, a horror and a proverb to them. Verse 24, look at this. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then the men will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord. Verse 25. The God of their fathers, which He made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom He had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. Every curse that's written in this book came upon them. They would disobey. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. Prophesying even here of the of the exodus, the uh, exile that would take place, you know, and this did take place. It's also interesting of what took place even in verse 23, right? When uh, the spies went in to, to search out the land, do you remember what the report was about the land? It's fertile, right? It comes, it's it's luscious, it's green. And you go to Israel today, it is barren. I've not researched this entirely, but I would not be surprised at all. If it is Israel's disobedience, God has changed the land from being fertile to be what it is today. Because look at what it says in verse 23. All its land is brimstone, people say, and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive. And no grass grows in it. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in His anger and in His wrath. Right? They're looking upon this land and it's so barren. And much of Israel is barren land. Because they have forsaken the Lord. And the Lord even prophesied here, right? In verse 28, uprooting them from the land and taking them off. That's the curse that comes upon them. And Moses constantly in 27, 28, 29, and 30 is placing before them a a blessing and a curse. Great blessing if you obey. Great cursing if you disobey. And the options have been established. And then he's saying, he's begging them to choose life. He says in chapter 30, verse 15, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. I remember uh, these two Norwegians driving along in in a truck and they come into this overpass. This truck was pretty tall and the overpass said 11 feet 2 inches. And so they stopped short of there and they took out their measuring and they measured it. 11 feet 6 inches was their truck. So they thought about it and one Norwegian said to the other, I don't see any cops around. Let's go for it. <laughs> you know, we, we, la- we rightly laugh at these jokes because they're funny, but first, verse 37 says that they will tell Israelite jokes to them. There'll be a taunt of these people. They'll become a horror, in fact. Right? Such dread would come upon these people. They'd probably use them as a curse. Even they might even say this. How did the Amorites conquer Israel so fast? They marched backwards, and Israel thought they were leaving. 
Just kind of saying, Israel is stupid. They don't understand it. Right? How do you make an Israelite warship sink? You put it in, in water. It sinks. These, these jokes about Israel and how inept they are. That's what would come upon them. They would be a horror. So desolate were they. They would become a proverb. They would become a taunt. Israel would be hated and despised and made fun of and mocked for all times to come. Right? People would say, all you need to do with Israel is throw a coriander seed at them. Right? And they think it's manna and they run away. They're scaredy cats. All these kind of things, right? Israel, rather than, remember the blessings, it says you will be on top, you won't be underneath. You'll be the head, you'll not be the tail. But if you disobey, you're going to be cursed. And what's going to happen? You're going to be the tail and you're going to be below and everyone's going to be on top and they're going to oppress you and make fun of you and ridicule you and make a scorn of you. You'll be held up as an example of what not to do. And then from verses 38 and following, right? We hear curses and curses and curses that come upon the Israelites if they continue in their rebellion. And I could go on for a long time even to describe all the terrible things that would take place upon them. And it is bad and it is hard. It's severe. That's why I try to lighten things up with a little levity because it comes so hard. And then chapter 29, the same thing, right? You have the blessing and the curse, right? You obey, these good things will come. You disobey, these bad things will come. Right? He gathered the people together in Moab. And he reminded them of the wonderful things the Lord has done. Verse 5, I led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes are not worn out on you. Your sandal is not worn out on your foot. You have not eaten bread, nor have you drunk wine or strong drink, in order that you might know that I am the Lord your God. For 40 years, clothes didn't wear out. For 40 years, sandals didn't wear out. For 40 years, God sustained them with manna. For 40 years, God provided them water when they needed it most. And their final answer should have been easy. They should have said, well, it's obvious that the Lord is the God. We will follow Him. Right? That's what verse 9 says. So keep the words of this covenant to do them that you may prosper in all that you do. But again, now the flip side comes. It should have come about the people forsake the Lord. Curses will come upon them. And we see in verse 24 how the nations are becoming a how Israelites becoming a, a horror and a proverb to them. Verse 24, look at this. All the nations will say, Why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this great outburst of anger? Then the men will say, Because they forsook the covenant of the Lord. Verse 25. The God of their fathers, which He made with them when He brought them out of the land of Egypt, they went and served other gods and worshipped them, gods whom they had not known and whom He had not allotted to them. Therefore, the anger of the Lord burned against that land to bring upon it every curse which is written in this book. Every curse that's written in this book came upon them. They would disobey. And the Lord uprooted them from their land in anger and in fury and in great wrath and cast them into another land as it is this day. Prophesying even here of the, of the exodus, the uh, exile that would take place. You know, and this did take place. It's also interesting of what took place even in verse 23, right? When uh, the spies went in to, to search out the land, do you remember what the report was about the land? It's fertile, right? It comes, it's, it's luscious, it's green. And you go to Israel today, it is barren. 
I've not researched this entirely, but I would not be surprised at all. If it is Israel's disobedience, God has changed the land from being fertile to be what it is today. Because look at what it says in verse 23. All its land is brimstone, people say, and salt, a burning waste, unsown and unproductive. And no grass grows in it. Like the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah, Adma and Zeboim, which the Lord overthrew in His anger and in His wrath. Right? They're looking upon this land and it's so barren. And much of Israel is barren land. Because they have forsaken the Lord. And the Lord even prophesied here, right? In verse 28, uprooting them from the land and taking them off. That's the curse that comes upon them. And Moses constantly in 27, 28, 29, and 30 is placing before them a, a blessing and a curse. Great blessing if you obey. Great cursing if you disobey. Right? And the options have been established. And then he's saying, he's begging them to choose life. He says in chapter 30, verse 15, I've set before you today life and prosperity and death and adversity. Because right? the son or daughter who loves their parents will obey. Children, the way you can express your love for your parents is by obeying them. Well, the third one. Key to obedience here is dependence, right? Moses said the Israelites were to hold fast to the Lord. Literally, the idea here is that they would be glued to Him. They would not let Him go, right? This is the one who's dependent upon the Lord for all things. We'll, we'll cleave to the Lord and we'll keep Him close, not let Him go, right? Super glued, put together. This is the same word used in Genesis. A man shall leave his father and mother and shall... Cling to his wife, right? Becoming one flesh. We ought to become one flesh with God, right? So clinging to him, right? And one of the ways to do that is really through the word. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 46, describes about the, the priority of the word. He said, Take to your heart all the words which I am warning you today, which you shall command your sons to observe carefully, even all the words of this law. For it is not an idle word for you. Indeed, it is your life. The Word of God is your life. You need to cling to it. You need to cherish it. It's not just an idle word that you just kind of let go. You've got to take your Bibles and read them and cling to them. It is your life, is what he says. And by this word you will prolong your days in the land which you're about to cross the Jordan to possess. We need to depend upon the Lord. And, and were the truth be known, we are so dependent upon the Lord for everything. And I'm telling you, everything we're dependent upon the Lord. For everything, for our next meal, we're dependent upon the Lord. For our next heartbeat, for our next breath, we're dependent upon the Lord. Even we're dependent upon the Lord for the choices we make, right? Look back at Deuteronomy 29. It's kind of stood out to me as I, as I read this this past week, right? We already read verses 5 and 6 of Deuteronomy 29, talking about leading them for 40 years in the wilderness, clothes not wearing out, sandals not wearing out, eating bread, drinking water at the right time, seeing God's miraculous display. In verse 2, he says, See, you have seen all the Lord your God did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and all his servants in all his land. The great trials which your eyes have seen, those great signs and wonders, he says, you've seen them all with your eyes, and yet why didn't you believe? Look at verse 4. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. And sure, the people were obstinate and rebellious and they were responsible for it. Yet there's a greater reality at work here. It's the Lord had not transformed their hearts to believe. 
Because it's the Lord that stirs our heart and illumines our eyes and, and opens our ears and opens our minds to see the glories of the Gospel of Christ. That's the message of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's the Lord who does that. In fact, even we'll see here, turn over to chapter 30, right? After they're exiled, even when they come back, right? They're going to come back. What, God, what does God have to do with them, right? He's got to circumcise their heart. Look at verse 6. Right when they come back, moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul so that you may live. That is the new covenant. That is the promise of God bringing people back in the land and so stirring in their hearts that they actually do then love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I simply say this. We are so dependent upon the Lord. We need His Spirit to work among us. And so I say, you know, if the Spirit's not working among you, it's not working among us, what do we need to do? We don't just sit back passively and say, oh God. We need to beg and plead and say, God, pour out Your Spirit. Help us create in us hearts that long to love and obey and follow Him. Because that's where we want to go, right? Cry out to Him to circumcise your hearts. It's the only place where hope is found. It's not in ourselves to obey like this. It's in God to stir our hearts so that we respond like this. And there is great blessing in believing and obeying. You know, at the end of my text here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 20, Moses can't give a command without promising his blessing. And that's what he does. This is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. And again, you just need to hear this again, church family, is that the reason why... We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength is because it's good for us. It is a blessing, right? It's life. And so you might live in the land that God swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You'd live long. You'd live long in the land. You would experience the blessing of God's promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, I have been amazed at reading through the Pentateuch these past several months, again, of how often Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob come in. The promise of Genesis chapter 12 really overgirds and saturates all this. That we have a promise-making, a promise-keeping God that promised to Abraham and he carried it through to Moses. And even when the people were disobedient and exiled, he promised he'd bring them back because he's such a faithful, gracious God. He is worthy of being followed, right? He's not a killjoy. He is a joyous God who cares for us. And I simply, as I bring my message to close, ask you, okay, what is your final answer? What is your final answer? Will you follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you forsake all and love and embrace Him? Or will you follow your own plans for your own life? And I just tell you as clearly and plainly as I know how, especially perhaps the children, maybe some of you adults, if you've never come to the place where you have made a pledge to God, decided to say, you know what, I am going to follow Christ, then do it today. Why not? It's blessing, it's good. This is fatherly advice, which is good. This is advice of God to His children. This is advice of Moses to the people of Israel. This is my advice to you as a pastor to a church. Love Christ and follow Him. Blessings will follow. Why don't you bow your heads? Oh Lord, I pray for the people at Rock Valley Bible Church that we would be such people who would love You with all of our hearts and with all of our souls and with all of our minds. God, so stir in our hearts, God, that we could say that we've decided 
to follow Jesus, that we have decided that Christ is a path that's life, that Christ is a path that we want to follow. So that's where your heart is. Let's just sing it together. I've decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus.